Are you an international student looking for jobs in the U.S.? Our winter enrollment is now open. The program will help you build your brand and network to land jobs in the U.S. Visit icoa.com or click the link in the caption below. Can't wait to make you my next success story. Welcome everyone to our special podcast, Meet the Mentor. This podcast is designed to help international students in the U.S. with their career search. My name is Quan Siegel. I am the CEO and founder of International Career Advisory, or IC Away. We are an empowering community for international students, and we provide different coaching programs to support international students at different stages of their career search in the U.S. In this Meet the Mentor podcast. I will be speaking with a U.S. professional who I truly admire their career search journey. Most importantly, they are compassionate leaders who want to help younger generation become professionally successful. My guest mentor today is Melanie Fox. She is an acclaimed dialect coach. An accent reduction specialist who helps non-native English speakers articulate clear business English, and empowers performers to master dialects from around the world. Through her brand, Speech Fox, Melanie offers custom-tailored language lessons for English language learning. Melanie works with executives, staff, and rising stars in the entertainment and sports industries to overcome their difficulties and fears as they interact, interview, network, or deliver camera-ready presentations in English. And today, Melanie will be sitting with me to discuss the interview techniques, what to do with our accents in job interviews. Thank you so much, Melanie, for joining me today. Our topic today is what to do with our accents in job interviews. So I am personally looking forward to this conversation because I'm, I believe that this is not just a problem that many of our listeners are struggling with, but me myself, as a foreigner living in this country, also trying to improve my own accent as well. Thank you so much for having yeah. me, Kwan. I'm honored to be here. Such an honor to have you today. Before we go into the techniques and details to help all of us, the, our listeners, reduce our accent, can we learn a little bit more about your background? How you build your passion in accent reduction coaching? Sure. So my passion in accent reduction coaching goes back to when I was six years old. When I was in first grade as a six-year-old, uh, I met another student named Ada. And Ada's family had recently moved from China to the U.S. Now Ada came in kindergarten, so by first grade she was completely bilingual. But when I went to her house as her first American friend, I met her parents, and her parents, although they were very bright, were very, very reluctant to speak English because their first language was Cantonese. Uh, they also spoke Mandarin, but. Um, English was a second language to them, and they were very embarrassed about how they sounded. But as a very friendly, excited six-year-old, uh, they could not resist speaking with me. And um, I realized that if I uh, 
sat down, especially with um, Ina's mother, um, that I could help her pronounce certain English words and make her feel more confident about them. So in my six-year-old way, I would take out either markers or, you know, um, whether it was a post-it or a napkin, anything to write on, and I would capture the way she was saying a certain word, and then I would sort of write it phonetically because English spelling and English and the phonetics of English don't always match up. So I would help her say it. I would show her how my mouth was moving, and we'd practice certain words, and uh, and then she would pronounce them correctly. Now her daughter, who is brilliant, uh, did not have patience to sit and do this because she's like, "Mom, why why am I learning this and you're not?" But for me, as uh, as a guest in the house, I was just so excited that I could use my interests in language and speech sounds to help somebody feel. Better and more confident about their English. So that was really my first unpaid client. Um, was oh my was my friend Ada's mom at age six. Now I didn't have the techniques using phonetic symbols, but I, you know, I did my best and used the same very basic techniques as I do now. But now it's a lot more scientific. But the strategy and the feeling of helping somebody with their speech and having them feel more confident after was uh, was really what I think got the speech coach bug in me at an early age. Um, so that was one of the first sparks I had. And then um, while I uh, I had moved away from, um, I was in Staten Island when uh, when I had gone to school with Ada, and I moved away to Long Island, um, two, uh, two very heavy regional accent places, by the way, which makes it also ironic that I became a speech coach. But, um, but when I moved away, sometimes Ada and I would visit each other in the summer, and I'd get to spend a week at her house, and she'd get to spend a week with, my, with me and my parents at our, our house. And when I stayed in Ada's house, I became extra interested in the Cantonese I was hearing. So sort of as a prize or uh, as a reward for being a good guest, they would write me little post-its. At this point, it was definitely post-its with a pen of Cantonese phrases and markings of the, the tone because there's, it's a tonal language with six tones, or I've heard more, but they, they had <laughs> described it as six tones. And so, um, so I used to memorize Cantonese phrases and try to repeat them back the next year when I, when I would come. I'd try to commit them to memory and repeat them. And it was the 80s, so I'd buy some books on tape, or my parents would take me to buy books on tape. I'd memorize extra phrases and try to surprise them the following year. So um, that got me into... Uh, it got me really interested in learning other languages. Back then, they called them foreign languages. Now we tend to call them world languages because we're not so Anglo-centric as, right. as we used to be, thankfully. Um, so yeah, so I got, at, at, you know, starting from this, this, uh, this exposure, I got both very interested in teaching English language pronunciation mm -hmm. and learning other languages. Um, and this continued in college. I uh, fell into, very quickly fell into a linguistics major. I, I kind of declared it accidentally <laughs> at Georgetown University, but based on the first day of class when I, when I took the intro to linguistics, I was hooked. So I, I majored in linguistics. I wound up double majoring in linguistics and Spanish, and I studied abroad in Spain. And my study abroad in Spain was the next big thing that made me interested in teaching um, and learning languages. So when I was in Spain, I basically took something theoretical, trying to speak Spanish in a classroom, which was, did not lead to a lot of fluency, to just immersing myself, meeting people, speaking to strangers, and having just such a wonderful reception. People were so supportive. They were 
proud of me. They were encouraging. And I said to myself, okay, I'm in love with learning languages and I have to, I would say pay it forward, but it actually would be paying uh-huh. it backward, <laughs> paying it back. Uh, I have to do this in return when I get home. So I went back to well, I, I returned to DC to finish my senior year and one extra year for my master's in linguistics. And as soon as I was back um, in New York, I decided to teach adult English as a second language. And I started teaching what they called level zero, which actually sounds kind of mean, but it was a true beginner English. Mm-hmm. And I was basically thrown into a classroom with no teaching experience. Well, I did have, I did tutor um, English when I was studying abroad, but basically they said, here are 40 students, uh, you do the assessment. If they uh, test at you know, the most basic level, they're in your class, uh, no books, no curriculum, do whatever you want, here's 40 students. And uh, the NPS, they probably speak no English. So I just had the world's best time creating curriculum, wow. helping, helping people that really were, some of them were scared to death. I mean, they were thrown into a country, well, not thrown in, but they came to a country and thrown into a language environment that they they were not necessarily prepared for. They were already working. Um, A lot of them were migrant workers. Some of them were working in customer service areas in say like a deli or, um, you know, something with, uh, you know, fast transactions. And, um, and I tried to focus on what was practical. And that to me was communication. And that would be consist that and that would consist of clear pronunciation and practical phrases and practical um, just practical everyday English so that was one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had and that really set me up for for success and if you don't mind I would love to add one inspiring story that happened please go ahead okay I'm I'm just a talking machine but I (laughs) I love it (laughs) Um, this is beautiful I I love I love success I love talking about other people's success. So when I was in Spain, they had, um, they used the word intercambio to be like, uh, to refer to language exchange. And so instead of someone paying for a tutor, for me getting a tutor in Spanish, or for someone asking me to, you know, pay, someone paying me to tutor them in English, it would be a trade. So you'd get together for an hour or two hours, split the time. The first, for example, for the first hour, I might be um, learning Spanish from the native speaker, and the next hour, um, the the Spanish speaker would be learning English from me as a native speaker of English. And um, late in my stay in, uh, well, I was studying at uh, La Universidad de Salamanca in Salamanca, Spain, and um, and that's fairly close. It's sort of between Madrid and Portugal. Um, and so I met someone in a candy shop who happened to say to me, hey, you know, I'm really... Um, I'm really struggling because I have been a senior at this college now. This will be my seventh year um, mm-hmm. as a senior. I, and every year I take the test. You know, I went to school for my four years. And when I took my, my final exam the senior year, my first senior year, I didn't pass. And then every year, I don't know if she had to take a, a course or not, but she would take the test again, studying all year long, and she'd fail. And this was about her seventh time taking the test. And she said, if I don't pass this year, I'm just going to give up and I'm going to leave without my degree um, in English. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? Um, I would love to help. I'm not sure how, but I want to help. Uh, So I said, do you have a copy of the exam? She did not. I said, is there a review book I could buy? Not really. Uh, Are there any materials that they've released? No. It's just kind of like I sit down for that exam and I fail. So we basically went in with a blank notebook and I tried to figure out 
okay, what is it that she's probably losing points on? Because at this point, it's a numbers game. So speaking with her and sort of testing her on different, different things that I would kind of invent on the fly, I figured that it was really her speaking and her writing skills, not her ability to understand what she heard and maybe answer multiple choice questions. So not listening comprehension and not reading comprehension. I determined those two things are probably strengths, um, but dictation, listening to, listening to a vocabulary word and attempting to write it down in English, um, which is something that is not, I, I don't think we, we test a lot in that way here on say like a TOEFL, that's not part of it, but, um, but, but that was part of her test and also uh, her speaking abilities. Um, so uh, both of those things correlated to the, the relationship between the sounds and either, you know, a word that she knew and pronouncing it or a word that she heard pronounced and writing it. So we went through, uh, I, I kind of gave her practice things and samples and a lot of strategies based on phonetics and phonics and sort of my best quick t tips and tricks on deciphering English and not just guessing a word that you already know, but guessing what you're actually hearing, even if it's writing down a word that you're not familiar with. And, you know, we sat for, I think, two or three hours twice, or maybe two hours, three times, something like that. And, you know, I gave her a big hug, wished her luck. Uh, you know, a few weeks later, I had to return home. And a few months later, I received a card in the mail and it just had like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, I passed. And I was so excited that after nice. seven tries and really a shot in the dark, you know, based on my guesses of what was on her test in a cafe, that she was able to pass that test. And I was so happy that the time together made a difference and probably made a difference in the next step in her life, the jobs that she would get in her field, and the fact that she would not leave English feeling like a failure. It was, um, it was really rewarding. And, um, and the feeling of, of helping people mm -hmm. overcome their fear of English and then feel confident in it and then be able to use it as a, as a skill uh, has, wow. has been a motivator ever since then. That's beautiful. And now you have your own consulting firm, your own coaching company yes, for accent I reduction. Exactly. So my company, SpeechFox, I specialize in three things with a few offshoots. One is teaching accent reduction. Um, I have to say that sometimes people feel negatively about the term accent reduction and say, well, why would you call it reduction? Languages are beautiful. You should never try to reduce someone's accent. And I agree that the term is not optimal, but it is the term that a lot of people are searching on and that the, my students, my clients are referring to it as accent reduction. But if I could rename it, I would call it clear, confident English. Mm -hmm. But I, the term typically used is either accent reduction, action, uh, accent modification, and even worse, accent elimination. But the idea is teaching another dialect of English that corresponds with the standard American English dialect, which is used for business. But it doesn't mean they have to get rid of their old accent, but they're learning, especially because I work with regional um, speakers of regional American English dialects who are native speakers, mm -hmm. but want to learn an additional standard American English dialect that they could use for business and to help them succeed. And I'm all for that. But yes, the terminology is a little funny. So accent reduction is one of my specialties. Um, dialect coaching is another. I work with actors that want to learn dialects to um, 
play roles where they're supposed to sound like they're from other places around the world than oh, where they're, where that's they're actually fun. from. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it so much. I mean, it's a different, it's a, it's a different need. The need is to kind of, uh-huh. again, sort of pretend you're someone else. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as much for day-to-day business. It's usually for a specific script, but it's a ton of fun and preparing for each dialect can be unique. Um, someone's individual dialect is called an idiolect. So you not only have to decide, you know, what, you know, what region you need to teach, but uh, how old is the character and, you know, what lifestyle do they lead and a few things that go into picking what exactly this, this dialect should be like. And of course, that's a collaborative effort with the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in addition to the, the, the accents and dialects, I also do presentation uh, presentation skills coaching. So this could be for a keynote speech. It could be for um, job interview skills. It could be to, um, you know, do a a stronger job at uh, building relationships, networking, customer service, sales, anything that's client facing, or even just high visibility um, in a company. uh, A lot of folks are looking for some presentation skills. And these days it's both in person and via Zoom or webinar. So um, I do a lot with presentation skills. And the offshoots that I mentioned, I do some TOEFL and TOEIC prep and things like that. Um, I help people find language tutors as well. But my main main pieces are accents, dialects, and presentation skills. Uh, as we discussed in a mm-hmm. prior conversation, um, even though uh, jobs are not supposed to discriminate mm-hmm. on accent, Lots of factors subliminally are going into their minds about who they're picking, what kind of quote unquote communication skills in general a person has, Mm -hmm. and how much they're willing to pay for that talent. And it definitely shows when a when a candidate is confident and clear, um, people are willing to to pay for that. As your specialty is in um, helping international students get jobs, have you seen um, the uh, the the effect on people, their kind of confidence and uh, their skill in interviewing and, and what kind of offers they get? That is a very good question. And from my experience, coaching students, international students with perfect English normally feel more confident talking with people. And as a result, they have great capability to network and present themselves in the job interviews. One interesting fact is that mm-hmm. all of our students, ICOA students who successfully received job offers have strong accents and their English is not perfect, but they are able to get a job offer that is above the average market rate. Their first salary in the U.S. is ranging from 80,000 U.S. dollars to a six-figure salary. So Mm -hmm. let's say, for example, if a student's target job is a mechanical engineer, Having perfect English is great, but it is not everything. Their skills in, for example, AutoCAD or SolidWorks or other problem-solving skills matter more. And as long as they can communicate well with their team members and meet job requirements, that is enough for employers. So how I coach my students is that I focus Mm -hmm. on making sure that they understand the employer's expectations very well and they are able to identify their selling points for the job. And of course, they need to be able to answer technical and behavioral questions very well with good structure that is crisp and compelling. 
However, interpersonal skills also matters a lot, and during the interview, they must feel comfortable making small talk and create a yeah. conversation with interviewers. As it's pretty hard to hide our accent, and after all, it's part of who we are. All we need to do is to balance between keeping our accent and speaking properly. That's my thought. Just look back when I first moved here, and I got a job interview at Deloitte. So the first thing that I was worried was my accent. I practice all those words that normally has three syllables, and you know, I'm originally from Thailand. We call ourselves monotone people. We have just one tone, but in English, especially with that three syllables, very confusing to us. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I practiced those words that I normally weak at before getting that job interviews, and yeah, it finally brought me to the final round and got a job offer. So fast forward, right now as a coach, I also, uh, you know, put this kind of this type of English practice as mm -hmm. uh, part of the students' career success roadmap as well. So I recommend them to go to the resource that will help them improve. There are lots of free resources out there. For example, with YouTube, with Google these days, you you can just learn all those pronunciation and phonetics as well. Uh, so that's kind of self learning approach. I would love to learn from you because you told us about lots of great success stories and how you coach your student. Can you share a little bit? Some of the tips, besides what we can learn from YouTube and Google, what else can we do to improve our accents? So, um, a lot of what I do with my clients is really start with an analysis and then practice in a really focused way. Mm -hmm. So, whether you work with—I mean, working with a coach is a great way to do it—but not everybody has the resources for it. So, in my coaching, I do a thorough assessment, and what what we come out with is a diagnostic of all the sound patterns um, that where a, a client or a student is substituting certain sounds. Uh, also, other things like um, syllable stress uh, issues that might be interfering with their um, intelligibility. Intonation, word choice, yeah, even even, gra even grammar and idiomatic expressions and things like that. Mm -hmm. But on the uh, on the most pure level of accent, meaning sound substitutions, if you know there's a sound that you're struggling with, um, it's great to learn some phonetics using either the International Phonetic Alphabet, the IPA chart, or even just watching a YouTube video of how the mouth is moving. Right, so. In a given consonant, for example, there are three main components to a sound. There would that would be where in the mouth that sound is coming from, um, how the air is flowing or not flowing, and then are you using your voice? So, for example, the th is a sound that a lot of people struggle with. Right. The th. I know. I know that it's in one of the ths at least is in Greek and in uh, Castilian Spanish. For different letters, it's not this. It's not uh, like in Spanish, for example, the C and the Z. Well, certain C's and all of the Z's get th. So it's not that the th is not in any other language, but uh, the American English and British English, same thing. Th sound um, is an uncommon one, and the fact that going to those three things, the location is the tongue sticking out in between the teeth. That. For one, is strange to a lot of people, and not only does it feel weird, but they think it looks weird because 
we, we, we make this sound so quickly in English that you don't necessarily see in slow motion. And this is not on video, but right now I'm sticking my tongue out between my teeth. And it may look funny if I left it there because, again, it's happening quickly. But when someone's trying it out, they may think, oh, no, no, this can't be. But, but it is. So the tongue sticks out of the mouth. Then how does the air flow? Well, it, it's called a fricative in, in uh, phonetics. It's uh, basically the air is flowing through a very narrow opening, creating some friction. So you hear sort of almost like a static, like a white noise type, type of sound. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is the voicing. Is it a voiceless sound, meaning just air flowing through? Or is it voiced, meaning my vocal cords or larynx is vibrating too? So we actually have both the voiceless and the voiced version in English. We have the sound like in thin and the sound like in then. So what I do with my clients is help them by using things like minimal pairs as, as, a, as an example. So if somebody is, for example, substituting a T and a D instead of the TH, they may have trouble hearing and pronouncing the difference between the T and tin and the TH in thin and the D and den and the, t, the voice TH in then. So something that you can do is try to contrast these sounds repeatedly. And I do this with my clients as part of my lesson, not to give away all my secret sauce, but I think minimal pairs, it's, a, it's, a, uh, you know, it, it's not my own discovery that these pairs of words exist. And the idea of a minimal pair is the words are identical except the one key sound. And if you can't get an identical pair, you can get what's called a near minimal pair, almost the same exact sounds, um, except the one key sound, but maybe a slight uh, additional bit of difference. So uh, again, like tin, thin, den, then, continuing with that sound, day, they, dare, there, and like that. So mm -hmm. having lots of practice, contrasting the sound that you're making versus the standard sound and figuring out what are the key differences between your sound and the sound that the goal that, that you want to get in the standard American English, mm -hmm. what, what is that exact difference and how do I practice it? So if you could find a YouTube video that gets you started, or if you can make yourself a nice word list and practice them, I have some other tips, you know, for clients um, that when we get into a lot, a lot more detail, but it's, it's great to, you know, instead of focusing on everything, I, my biggest, tip would be focus on one thing at a time until you master it and then add something else. If you try mm -hmm. to focus on everything, you'll focus on right. nothing because it will be totally overwhelming and Great chaotic. Suggestion. Yeah. So I would say pick a sound, focus on it. And if you have the resources, having a coach is great. I'm, I'm not the only accent reduction or uh, speech coach um, for pronunciation um, on earth, but my um, the benefit of working with someone like me is I'm very, very focused. I do a very thorough diagnostic and I give very specific customized material to specifically what my client needs to work on. It's not a textbook where we learn every single thing about the English language. You probably have mm -hmm. a ton that's already right. So the idea right. is that, and it's not necessarily right or wrong, but standard and non-standard. So you probably have a lot that's already pretty consistent with standard English. So my key is to figure out what's not yet standard and pinpoint that and give you specific exercises to work on mm -hmm. to fix to um to feel like you're in control of those sounds and once you feel like you have control mm -hmm. that's where the magic happens it's not that it always has to be 100 percent perfect native speakers aren't 100 percent perfect but the fact that you're in control of the sounds mm -hmm. you can hear it and if you do feel like you went off mm -hmm. a little bit and said something non-standard you can hear it you know what it is and you mm -hmm. can make that tweak 
to uh, to fix it so that you feel clear. And once you once you feel clear, you should start to feel more confident. And that's sort of a it's sort of a snowball effect. You get you feel clearer, you get more right. confident. You get more confident, maybe it motivates you to become a little clearer. <laughs> and right. it keeps going. It keeps going until you go into the category that I would classify it. as kicking ass. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. So be in control of the sound, make it clear. Once you feel, once you, once you feel that you can speak clearly, then you have your confidence, and then you become the winner. What yes. it will go, you want to achieve, right? It's just yeah. right in front of you. That is amazing. And what do you think about like recording and listening to ourselves? That's a process I try to do myself as well. Yes, I think recording yourself is great um, because it's hard to. Just speak freely and then analyze your free speech. But if you have something that you're reading um, and you know which sound you're working on, when you listen back, listen back for that specific sound. Don't just mm -hmm. listen for every single thing. Again, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So read and concentrate on the key sound. And when you listen back, listen back for that key sound. And because it's in writing, you can anticipate where you'll look. I have more tips and tricks Again, that would take a little more time to describe. I do special things for my clients to make it, um, you know, uh, text specific to them for good practice. But again, if someone's on their own, just looking for some, you know, uh, resources, just download something that you're interested in or download something that you talk about either in your class if you're um, a student or at your work if you're mm -hmm. um, already in the workforce. Um, so something that's relevant and interesting or something that has to do with your job, write it down or take something that's, you know, from a, a source that you'd use for information and, or even song lyrics, a song that you really like, if mm -hmm. you're motivated, that's half of the battle. So something that excites you and motivates you and is relevant, um, and right. try that, that it doesn't have to be an academic text, something that you right. enjoy that will motivate you to want to perfect pronouncing that thing and again it could be as simple as a song lyric now it's sometimes hard even for native speakers to understand song lyrics because they go by fast and there's a lot of artistic stuff going on there but whatever motivates you you know my, my fiance and I are attempting to learn German right now and he found a German hip-hop song that we we liked we watched the video now we looked up the lyrics now we're trying to repeat the lyrics along with the song we we are true beginners so we're we're not the, oh, that we're is not fun we're not going to be the next you know german rappers that you hear on uh, <laughs> on youtube but um it's a lot of fun so i would i would go ahead and you know anything that even um a movie script you can find a movie script right yeah. right yeah. right whatever you're interested in i would say that's the best thing and focus on the sound that you're that's your key sound and, and not right. everything once you'll drive yourself crazy. Right. Right. So first let's say evaluate yourself, right? Know your weakness, know top priorities for you to improve. Focus on fixing that. Um, you can record your voice, practicing practice a lot to fix mm -hmm. that point. That's yeah. amazing. And if they have resources, go to Mel, Melanie Fox. Yes, <laughs> and by the way, this reminds me of another client of mine, if I may uh, yes, talk please. about Yes, please, go ahead. So one of my clients, um, she's uh, in the dental field, the, actually orth orthodontic field, and she had a lot of different challenges coming up for her. One was taking the TOEFL, and like most of my clients, the speaking section and a little bit of the writing section um, was the issue that she was, you know, kind of 
or at least the challenge that she was afraid of. So once we, we, once we got past that hurdle and she did well there, then she not only had um, to uh, write a cover letter, so that we, we did together, and then it became an interview, and that turned into a group interview, which is kind of dreaded by most people, because not only are you in an awkward position trying mm -hmm. to show your knowledge and that you're likable, but now you have to sort of compete against other people while being nice <laughs> in a group setting. Right. You don't know who are competing for the same spots. Um, it was very competitive. It was one of those programs where you're already licensed in your own country, and now you're coming here to take a specialized graduate program in a specialized area, but you have to get one of those key spots. And if you don't, then you have to take the entire program again from scratch as if you didn't have your degree. It was interesting to practice speaking and uh, speaking with confidence and competing. And mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things we, 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 we talked about was, you know, make sure that you're listening to other people and mm -hmm. collaborating and that you smile. You know, you might be really stressed out at this point, but just take your time, breathe, listen, Think about what you're going to say before you say it and um, know that you have, you know, you have the accent under your belt and, uh, and just, you know, speak clearly and engagingly. And, uh, you know, and if you're, if you're enjoying the process, people will probably enjoy your contribution. And she did get into her program. So I was very excited. Oh, congratulations. Before we go, can you just leave us some thoughts on, you know, some common mistakes that most non-English speakers normally make when presenting in a meeting or during the job interviews? Sure. So I would say, and th this, some of this goes for uh, native speakers as well, but non-native speakers might be extra nervous, so they may be more likely to... Um, you know, either show a lack of confidence or, or kind of not, not prepare as well. So, so first, let's talk about the job interview. In a job interview, one of the questions that I feel people miss the mark on more than anything else is the first question, tell me about yourself. Sometimes people get so nervous from the tell me about yourself, they dive into their full resume and they start talking about everything there is to know about them. Sometimes they don't look up. So they'll read and read and read, and then 15 minutes later, they'll look up and they've lost their audience. They haven't made any eye contact, and they're not, um, they're not telling about themselves. They're telling about their experience. So I think the tell me about yourself question is something to rehearse, practice, and own, and it's always good to have this as a strength because the tell me about yourself question is as much as letting the interviewers know that you're there for the right reason and that you're likable and that someone would want to work with you. Because again, at the end of the day, they're hiring a human that they're going to have to have a lot of interactions with. Not a robot, uh, not a machine, uh, not a piece of software, but another person. So the tell me about yourself question should really let your personality and your enthusiasm shine and should very briefly express to the interviewers what, you know, who you are, what you've been up to very, very briefly in general, and, mm -hmm. and what, why you're looking to apply for that job, but in very broad terms, not right. real specifics. So the tell right. me about yourself question to me is sometimes the, the I, I, I almost want to say a landmine. It's not supposed to be one, but it can turn into one. Right. Or um, the first impression. Exactly. It's the first impression, and if it goes wrong, 
everybody feels awkward. Right. Um, and people feel really, sometimes interviewers, in order to not be impolite, they don't interrupt, but then they get annoyed. <laughs> so right. then the person's on a runaway train and they can't stop mm -hmm. them. Um, I also think that the question, what is your, you know, what is your greatest strength or what are your, what are your biggest strengths and what are your big, what is your biggest strength? What is your biggest weakness or some variation of that? Uh, the, if the interviewer asks, what is your biggest strength and what is your biggest weakness? The strengths people usually do pretty well on. You want to make sure that it's targeted towards the position that you're interviewing for. I, I've had some folks interview for multiple positions and they try to reuse the same strength answer and the same answer may not go with job A as well as it goes with, or it may, it may go with job A, but it may not go well with job B. So you have to make sure that those Depending strengths, on the job. Exactly. Those mm -hmm. strengths line up with that job. And the biggest weakness, again, uh, interviewers don't like to hear I'm a perfectionist. That in itself is right. not a weakness. Uh, you also don't want to pick a weakness that would prevent you from doing that job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the weakness has to be very well, um, sort of very well strategized. Mm -hmm. And some of, sometimes I tell my clients, you can say that your biggest weakness is that you're not a native English speaker and that you didn't used to be confident about communicating in English, but you are working on it and that you're working on it with a coach and that you spend time, you know, hours each week and each week you get more and more confident and, mm -hmm. and feel that you're more and more, um, uh, that, that becoming uh, a confident speaker is becoming a strength or something like that. So excellent. So that could be uh, definitely one of, one of the areas where I would advise my clients to work, not just on devising the answer, which can be done really well with a career coach, mm -hmm. but by practicing the presentation of that answer to make sure your eye contact and body language and everything else uh, goes along with your answers to make them very believable. And you do want to tell the truth. I always say to my clients, it's a two-way conversation. An interview is not just them grilling you. You want to ask questions. You want to make sure that you're a good fit. They want to make sure that you're a good fit. You both have to make sure that, you know, it, it would work uh, as far as the relationship. Um, so it's not just a test. It's, it's a conversation. Another question that could be uh, difficult, and, and I'll extend this to questions in general that are unexpected. Something like, tell me about a challenge or a conflict you faced at work and how did you deal with it or how did you solve it? Sometimes people are afraid to pause and think. So... What sometimes happens is someone who's being interviewed will just start talking. They won't even know what they're about to say, but they'll start telling a story and the story will start telling itself. But they don't know, <laughs> they don't yet, yet know the point. So they're mentioning that something happened. They may not, they may remember pieces of the story and not necessarily have a point about how they solved it or how they dealt with it and how that relates to this job. So I always tell my clients, if you're asked a question, that you're not that you don't have a ready to go answer for feel free to say that's a great question let me take a second to think about that and it's okay to pause you know make eye contact when you're speaking and then you can take a moment to pause maybe look at you know some of the bullet points that you wrote down about what um, what they're looking for in this candidate what are some of the the, um, the traits that would make somebody really qualified for the job um, some of the skills that were required, some of the nice-to-haves, and is there a story you can tell? Is there an answer you can give that would strengthen your candidacy for that position? Mm -hmm. And it's okay to pause, and it's okay to think, and it's way better to think first and give yourself a couple of seconds than to start talking and be on a roller coaster ride where you don't know 
where you're going to end up. And at the end of right. this ride, you feel like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't know what just happened to me. I feel like I've been through a war. I don't know what I just said. And now I'm completely exacerbated. You know, I'm completely exasperated. I almost said exacerbated. I'm, ex I'm completely exasperated. I think I've run out of energy. I don't know what they think of me. And now I'm just all out of sorts. And, um, right. and I think I've lost my job. So, um, so definitely pausing and thinking is great. And, and you had asked a lot of these, um, you had asked about, you know, in the corporate world or in, in, in work, a lot of these things can carry over the pausing, mm -hmm. the thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I have one, one additional tip that relates to both interviews and on, and on the job stuff, uh, on the job communications, I should say, is mm -hmm. don't think that you have to speak quickly. Mm -hmm. If you think about a CEO versus an intern, an intern may be running around with their pants on fire. Do you need coffee? Do you need this? I have the documents. I, oh my God, I got to go check the email. Running, running, running. Speaking so quickly in a way to say, I know that your time is more valuable than mine. So I'm just going to blurt something out so fast so I can be out of your hair. And the CEO will take his or her time mm -hmm. to pause, to think, to take care between choosing words, to speak, to speak very purposefully or thoughtfully or mindfully, and the audience will wait. And so sometimes when people speak very quickly and have this hurried manner, unless it's in an operating room where time is of the mm -hmm. essence and you have to go fast, mm -hmm. um, sometimes it, it, it's more efficient to think before you speak, pause when you need to pause, and you'll have more efficiency in your word choice. And people mm -hmm. will listen to each of your words instead of blurting something out where people will either tune you out eventually, ignore you, or you're finding yourself without a point or repeating. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and the other thing I'd say, um, which would be uh, a lot in networking, is uh, not only to speak at you know, an, a relaxed pace so that people don't feel nervous when they're speaking with you, but to ask questions. Mm -hmm. It goes for the interview. There's a time during the interview where it's probably more appropriate. Um, but, but when meeting people in the business world or networking, you know, learn about the other person just as much as you want to speak. It's, it's wonderful when I meet someone and they seem like they're genuinely interested about me as well. And I can mm -hmm. also ask questions and really listen to the answers. I'm not just asking questions to check off the box. Okay. Got the mm -hmm. question in. It was relevant. No, I, I want to hear the answer and ask more relevant questions and learn about the other person. Conversations should be two ways, just as an interview is. And it's as important when getting to know people in the business world. And that's how you develop relationships. And Quan, when you and I met, we both asked each other a ton of questions. We learned a, a lot about the other person. Yes. And already we've had a few different follow-ups. We hit it up right away. Exactly. So two, two like minds, and we only like could minds. find that out. Oh, we can only find that out if we both had a lot of give and take. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and lots of great success stories of your students with us today. Do you have anything that you'd like to say to the international students or former international students who are now working in the U.S.? Sure. So uh, you and I had been looking even together at some articles uh, to see, you know, are there uh, either cautionary tales or encouraging data out there for folks that are language learners? And 
some of the articles that I looked at, um, including one from the Telegraph of a think tank, uh, is more of the cautionary tale that says, you know, folks that are, um, you know, speakers of, and this was even of non-standard but regional dialects, that they may be uh, less likely to earn as much as somebody who is a, a native speaker. However, they link this a lot to confidence. So uh, in, even though it might be a cautionary tale, if you're able to work on your accent in a way that makes you feel clear and makes you feel confident, then you would probably take a lot of chances that the native speaker would take to put yourself in situations where you're in a high visibility role or where you're in a situation where you're communicating directly with clients and even high level clients or key clients. So definitely the idea that you are in control of your clarity and your confidence could sort of get you back over that hurdle where even though there may be some innate, um, I don't want to call it discrimination or prejudices, but innate roadblocks or obstacles to someone who is not a standard speaker getting to the same place, if you can control the clarity enough to get you confident, I think that that um, would be a great way to overcome that potential gap. Um, and again, uh, having the confidence to put yourself in situations and give yourself opportunities would do a lot of the trick. And the more you're in front of other manager or managers, or if you're already a manager, other teams or uh, stakeholders uh, and clients, the more relationships you build and you'll probably get more confidence from that. So confidence there is key. And then a very um, exciting piece of news that I had found in um, an article from Language Advocacy mm -hmm. uh, was that having what used to be called foreign language and hopefully will usually be referred to as world languages, having multiple uh, languages where you're fluent, well, uh, let me yes, I love that, that data. Being multilingual, mm -hmm. um, in this article it said, um, 56% of people interviewed said that far, their foreign language demand, again, also called world language demand, will increase in the next five years. So that's more than half that were interviewed saying their, their world language demand will increase, you know, especially over the next five years. Um, and 47% said that um, they needed language skills even for the domestic market. And... It said that one in three companies reported in the U.S. that they have a language skills gap, meaning they need to fill that gap. Um, right. And one in four businesses said they actually lost business due to a lack of language skills. Again, mm. meaning employers want to get that back. So right. the fact that, that your international student base, many of those students will have multilingual capabilities. So the fact that you will up your game and being clear and confident on the English side and have in your, in your back pocket uh, one or more other languages, you could be very much in demand um, in the job market, especially because of our increased, not just dependency, but affinity for web-based communication, which makes uh, what could have been domestic businesses, now global businesses, because we can communicate uh, right. on Zoom or other, uh, other media. From uh, anywhere very, around the world. Every, mm -hmm. Anywhere around the world. So the fact that you've got um, the, the fact that you have this multilingual capability is a real key that you should highlight on your resume. And again, not to downplay your English, but to let folks know that you have um, bi mm -hmm. or multilingual skills. And that may be 
something that uh, a lot of companies are going to hold in very high esteem and be very happy that they could add you to their workforce because now they have another skill they can brag about on their website if you are working with their clients or their stakeholders. That's so true. And on a high note, because I think that that is very, very telling and very promising of the future job force. I hope that our students will be able to use some of this conversation to help them improve their accents or job interview skills in the future. So if they want to reach out to you to learn more about Melanie Fox, what is the best approach for them to connect with you? Sure. So I have a website. My company, again, is Speech Fox. Speak like speech mm-hmm. like speaking. And mm-hmm. Fox, like my last name, also like okay. the animal. Not a wolf, but a fox, in case it's hard to hear on the audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so my website is www.speechfox.com. Mm-hmm. And on that webpage, you can find my contact information. There's also a button to schedule an appointment. And I give a free 15-minute phone consultation. If you prefer that consultation to be over Zoom, just write me a little note. And, uh, and I'd be glad to be in touch with you. And during that free consultation, I'm glad to give you some free feedback about your speech, if that's a question that you had, or even some free advice about networking. And I network a ton. So if anybody wants to try out their networking skills, and Mm -hmm. now that uh, we're sort of quarantined, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to network via Zoom. So if anyone wants to just try out their networking skills and try out their pitch, which could even be about being a student but wanting to meet more people, um, or wanting to look for whether it's a job or an internship, feel free to let me know. And you can, again, contact me via my website, or my email, which is Melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E. That's M as in Mary, E-L as in Laura, A-N as in Nancy, I-E, at Speech Fox, F as in Frank, O-X as in X-ray, was Fox.com. So Melanie at SpeechFox.com is my email, and my website has the other information, including, as I mentioned, a way to book an appointment. So please let me know if I can be at your service, and please mention Quan as your connection, so I know that uh, that or my wonderful connection with Quan has brought has brought you to me. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you so much, Quan. It's great to speak with you again. And please let me know how I can be of service to you and the students who are so 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 very smart and wise to use you as a resource. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Make sure to visit our website, icaway.com, and let us know if you have any questions about this or what else you'd like to hear in the next episode. If you found this helpful, please tell your international student friends about this as we all need to help each other.